1: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Making of a Marketer the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing, one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants, Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now hear your hosts, Jess and Andy. we are back on a thursday afternoon andy and jess with you today and what a glorious day indeed it is jess we are full swing in the season two we're full swing into the winter season now and i know that we've been talking you know like resolutions and new years you know we I think we got to keep that theme up like a little bit longer for like the, the new 2024 season, but I don't know about you. I'm kind of like feeling like at this point now, um both career and life, like I'm kind of like ready to like kind of get to that normal scene, like let's do it now. So a uh, second week of January, I think that my holidayness has worn off finally.
2: Well, you know, that is the complete opposite uh in my case where the The holidays are still going strong, full force. The tree does not come down until February sixth. Yes. That is how the Queen used to celebrate. She, she was honoring her father's passing, so we just we we like that tradition. And I am. We know I'm not into resolutions, but I am into saying Happy New Year until January 31st. I think you get the entire month. I mean this. I, I'm just all about like, let's continue the celebration. I mean, January is usually like gloomy. It's a little colder. Like let's keep it up. the lights, the the cheer. So I'm all about it.
0: So I got something and this is, you know, my holidays come up It's my birthday at the end of the month as I told you, I'll be turning twenty one. Uh, at the end of January. So there was a piece of marketing that got me like for my holiday season at the end of the month. And it was called Pittsburgh Beer Fest. And it was the weekend of my birthday. And they were like $55 ticket, you get to drink all kinds of like craft breweries, beer unlimited for one ticket. And I was like, well, I was like, that's great marketing right there. You just you don't really need to sell anything else. So it's at the convention center. It's cold outside. There's not a lot to do in Pittsburgh at this time of the year. So um, I'll let you know how that experience went down.
2: Yes. I'm actually happy that we have Kat on today because, like, we can, we're still in the holiday mood. Yes. And who better to talk about the holidays than Mm -hmm. Kat?
1: (laughs) I should have put my Christmas tree decorations up in my office. Shoot.
0: We just took our tree down and it's either the when you have cats, it's either you you're lucky (laughs) if you take the tree down yourself or if the cats take down the tree. So fortunately, the cats didn't take down the tree. One did try to eat an artificial portion of the tree and then threw it up. So I think we got out pretty unscathed. But that's another story for another time. We'll do a cat. We we should definitely do a cat marketing episode someday. I'd be down for that. But as you mentioned, Jess, we do today have a very special guest. It's Cat Cobb from Starbucks, Group Manager of Global CPG and Portfolio Strategy someone that's bringing the Starbucks game the Starbucks experience and as a coffee lover myself like this is one that I've nerded out on this episode as we've been planning so Kat we're real excited to have you here today and we're you know going to talk some coffee of course but I think there's just a lot to talk about in your marketing journey and how you're bringing that to one of the largest brands in the world.
1: Sounds awesome so glad to be here guys
0: definitely so like let's kick this thing straight off right now so we talk about creativity We're in season two. We've brought some creativity to this podcast, but we're always modifying. We're always trying new things. And, you know, 2023 was a year where I think a lot of marketers had to kind of fight for their creativity with just a lot of the things going on. So we entered 2024 and we want to bring those juices back. So tell us what's your strategy when you're feeling stuck creatively. How do you get unstuck?
1: Yeah, I like this question because it made me think about how I kind of define a few parts of that question. So what do I define as falling into the category of creative work and then and then, why is being stuck a negative? Um, so on the creative piece, I think, you know, through my experience with the Stanford D School, the executive coaching team there, I've really become more comfortable and fluent with the idea of like thinking and being human is is an act of being creative. Um, So iterating on a subject line for an email could be considered uh, an opportunity to be creative all the way through more traditional ideas of producing creative materials. Um, And so when you think about kind of everything you do and the way you go about your day being an opportunity to be creative, then you kind of have to accept that being human is being creative, so of course we're gonna get stuck. Um, So that kind of brings me to the next bit of the question that sparked for me, which was that the assumption that getting stuck is bad or is to not be considered part of just status quo or part of the process. So perhaps, you know, the reframe there is if you're not getting stuck, is that more something you should be concerned about? Uh, Maybe that means that you're not pushing far enough. Maybe that means that you're just kind of too comfortable or rinsing and repeating. Um, so with those things in mind, I think as new kind of frames on the question, I embrace the stuck, um, and then I'm intentional about being, uh, bringing stimulus into the conversation and into my brain to kind of hockey stick out of it. Um, so I think just making space for your brain to make connections is core to getting unstuck or staying in a flow state. Um, I kind of anticipate at this point that I'm going to have moments where I don't know the answer or that I do get stuck. And so I just know that I'm going to maybe procrastinate a little bit on this one to give myself the time to go for a walk. Or I'm going to get my first idea down on paper as fast as possible so that I can share it as a shitty first draft with as many people who will entertain it. Um, So... I think getting out of your routine, collaborating and making space for your brain to make new connections are all ways that I try and intentionally stay more in more flow state than start stop stuck.
0: So Kat, you've already hit us with a great POV already here because I think you what you say about being stuck is a normal human process. That's something that I feel like it, it's almost like we need to repeat that sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like we need to say it to ourselves. We need to say it to our teams. We need to know that that can be part of the game that we're doing in marketing. Because, you know, I, I always find that we try to like dabble this like world of like science and philosophy and trying things in marketing. There's like not this like exact recipe that exists, but, you know, sometimes I'm asked a certain question or I'm trying to do a certain thing and I just can't, I get kind of stuck on it and I can't get quite past it. Or it's one of those things like, hey, if I'm on a client, like consultation, it comes up, hey, Andy, like, how would you approach this? And I have to say, I don't know. But there's almost a power in doing that because it allows you to go discover. And I think sometimes when people see that as a weakness, then, you know, as you said, it gets kind of stuck in that, that rut where you're kind of doing the same things over and over.
1: I mean, has there ever been an instance when someone has come to you and said, hey, I'm stuck? And you're not like leaning in because of that i i think when people come to you and say i have the best idea in the world maybe it's a little harder to get excited but if someone wants to engage with me and get you know unstuck together then that's such an invitation for collaboration
0: i love it that's like something too you know if i'm working for you kat and like i'm a marketer it's like trying to 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 reach and find something my background as a social media manager sometimes you know just having that openness to be able to talk about that you know that's like that's step one to like get someone to engage so I think there's really something to be said to it. We do short form cuts of our videos all the time. Like you've already given us like a great social media post right there. So thank you. Uh, but welcome. we'll get now to the meat and potatoes. So let's talk about careers in your career. So just inform me that you have a background as an opera singer. So like, let's take it here. Like, How do you go from opera singer to marketing to working at Starbucks?
1: Uh, how far I've fallen, Andy. Um, well, to be fair, I was never a professional opera singer, so I did not have a career in opera. Um, but I did spend my whole youth and high school studying classical music very seriously. Spent my summers at conservatory. Like I was on the track to do to be a professional musician. Um, and went to Northwestern's music school to focus on vocal performance, classical music. Um, And I, you know, in hindsight, I think having that skill definitely set me apart in the college application process. So I think that's maybe the only reason I got into Northwestern was because I brought the music uh, piece. But, you know, when I found the hard way that when the center of all of my schooling and stress and classes was this thing that I had been such a passion of mine and such an outlet of mine, uh, it kind of destroyed music for me. Not to sound dramatic, but truly it, um, it took the joy out of performing and of music and it just made it so academic. Um, And the music major is all consuming. It is one of the most intense majors in terms of the amount of time you spend in rehearsal and classes. Um, So I dropped the major um, and kind of divorced music from most of my life there um, in terms of performing and and singing and being a part of any of it. I kind of came back to it towards the end of my college career when I had already found a love for the business side and advertising or marketing. Um, And I had the opportunity to intern with Atlantic Records. And I was thinking, oh, this maybe music business is the piece I want to go into Um, And when I was there, uh, I supported, I mean, I was, we're talking grunt work, like Devil Wears Prada-esque internship experience. Um, But one of the VPs I supported was in charge of looking at the bands as brands and then pairing those brands with real brands like Coca-Cola to get their music as part of people's ads. And I thought that was a really interesting take on how I thought about the, the term brand and then also the way to keep like music and advertising passion together. Um, so I didn't go into the music business directly, but I, it did kind of fuel my passion for advertising. So that's where I started my career at a big global shop in Chicago. Um, Miller Coors was my client. So Sling and beard at 20 something dudes was my first super strategic role. Um, and then a few years after living in Chicago, met my husband. We were excited to be in Seattle. And so we moved back to Seattle, which is where I'm from. Um, and as a Seattle hometown gal, you know, if you want to, if you enjoy beverage, you, you want to be at Starbucks. Starbucks is the place. So I um, was able to get my foot in the door here and start in a marketing capacity. Um, it was nice to be on the client side. I think the. Advertising has big budgets and flashy, creative, big personalities, but you don't get to necessarily call the shots or see things all the way through. So it was nice to be on the client side or the idea of being on the client side appealed to me um, to lead uh, an agency and brief them and get to call the shots. So I had that opportunity with Starbucks, um, came in leading seasonal promotional marketing for um, a tea business that we had at the time, Tivana. We had like 500 some specialty retail stores for tea. That was a great experience. Um, But I think what I found was as a marketer, I was trying to tell stories about products that perhaps were developed in silos and they weren't perhaps developed with an inherent consumer need or story embedded in them. And so it was a heavier lift as a marketer to try and make it meaningful. I wanted to be, further upstream, designing the products with a need and a story embedded in them. Um, so I worked my way over to the U.S. beverage team. So I spent five or six years um, doing kind of white space innovation and, and beverage development for our U.S. retail business, which was super exciting space to be. Um, and then had a kid, came back from mat leave and realized that I had become kind of an upperclassman in that. Uh, organization. um, And I was getting a little comfortable. And so I wanted to see a different side of the business, kind of test myself in new ways. And so for the last year and a half, I've been in our CPG business, um, which is outside of our cafes. It's how we show up in grocery stores, ready to drink outside of the Starbucks footprint. Um, And it's a global role. So I've been able to see the brand from different perspectives, different regions, um, cultural contexts, see different coffee cultures around the world. Um, And then it's multiple channels. So the opportunity to see products beyond what we call handcrafted in our cafes to see how coffee comes to life in a variety of formats has been really interesting.
2: Oh, wow. So much to unpack there, but (laughs) first I, I absolutely love it. And first I wanna say though, how creative of you uh, and and something for our listeners uh to to take hold of especially ones going into the the industry or in school right now Hmm. to to kind of like you almost took like this creative audit but based it on joy i just Mm -hmm. i i I absolutely love it's like you know you know thinking about like your joy and then like translating what you love into maybe a different discipline or or the discipline that is providing you with the most joy. So I absolutely love that. And I'm uh, really curious to hear more about like the storytelling piece. Because I mean, this is especially like within the marketing industry, I feel like storytelling has been a buzzword. It's been trending now for the last few years. And I think it's going to continue to uh, trend uh, so I'd love to just hear more about like your thoughts around marketing and storytelling
1: First I want to talk about career storytelling because you you mentioned folks who might be early in their career or in school still and I think anyone in hindsight can tell a really clear story of how their career evolved and why they made the moves that they move that they did. When you're in it, that path may not seem as clear. Um, Or when you're at the start of it, you may have absolutely no idea what you really want. You shouldn't probably have an idea. I think half of your career is finding what you don't want. Um, So I just would say, give yourself time and patience and grace because anyone who's been in the industry or any industry for a few years can always tell a good story about their why, but they wouldn't have been able to tell in the beginning. Um, In terms of the i guess maybe the role of storytelling and marketing is that what you're getting at
2: yeah just your thoughts because you 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 mentioned that it was it was a motivating factor for you as well as you were switching so yeah just more i just Mm want to hear your your open thoughts on like how storytelling is evolving or and how marketing and storytelling are so Mm -hmm. closely connected
1: well being in a physical product space there's only so much that the function, like the functional benefits of your product, can give someone. I think to truly differentiate now, you have to have an emotional connection to a product, and that comes with storytelling. Um, and to get to impactful storytelling, you have to deeply understand your consumer and your user. And. You know, enter the buzz the buzzwords around human centered design. There's a reason that that gained such popularity because it was a revolutionary way of putting your consumers' desires at the center of how you create. Um, I think. I think the I forget whose quote this is, and I'm going to butcher it, but you know, the best products don't need marketing because they have a story inherently built into them. Um, so that's my aspiration when designing beverages or products is that there's there's such a clear why behind it. Um, but, you know, I am a marketer. I, am, I do love briefing creative and all of that. And so the little cherry on top of whatever the product is, is always the, the marketing wrapper around it.
0: So I love, Kat, what you're talking about here in terms of storytelling. Me being a broadcast journalism graduate, like mm-hmm. storytelling was everything. Like I feel like me transitioning when i did into marketing and social media um, what gave me my edge is i specialized in telling a story like i could go Mm -hmm. in and i could do that over the course of like a social media calendar for 30 days i could figure out what is our micro story each day that might lead up to this macro story you talk about things like falling out of love with different things like the biggest challenge i've had in my marketing career is we've scaled up, of course. Like, I know how to run the ads, like we're talking about, like CPM, CPL, CP new metrics, SQLs, whatever we do, whatever genre of marketing we're at. But I think the true essence and the craft of marketers is a lot of times we enjoy that storytelling and creative aspects. So there's been times where I've had to fight, like losing my love because we're trying to get some, you know, micrometrics and, you know, those types of things in the role that I'm at now, LinkedIn is like very special to me because it takes me back to this consultancy type role. And we go back to the storytelling, the creative, and it's like, I've utilized that to kind of like rediscover my love for the game. So I appreciate you taking it at that angle, because I feel like, there are a lot of marketers out there that enjoy similar things that we're talking about right now, but they're trying to find that right path for them to where they can get to that and be able to, you know, utilize that that story with large brands and, you know, what you're doing at Starbucks and bringing that together. Because the way you say it, I think is fascinating to me, you know, I have tried a lot of the different menu options at Starbucks. We're going to get to that at the end of the podcast. Uh, But I think the story and the emotional connection, you know, that goes far beyond, you know, you know, what type of uh, grande I'm going to get this week.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I say storytelling, I mean, it's built into every meeting you have every opportunity you have to influence is an opportunity to tell a story. So it's, don't think you have to be a marketer to be a storyteller.
0: Yep. Everything has its own story. And, you know, hey, chat GPT can't tell that.
1: <laughs> it, it
0: might be able to tell it in right. a different way, um, but you would have to prompt it. Uh, question here. So let's talk about this last year and your role, both being a leader at Starbucks and just, you know, leader in your career life. You know, what's been your... um largest struggles that you've had, things you've been grateful for? Like, what would you say that's given you kind of that the the most gratitude, really, in this last year? What's what's worked for you?
1: I think my answer on this one is deeply personal, if you'll indulge me. Um, You know, I've always been an optimist, always. I I don't think I really saw that about myself. But in, in hindsight, I've always been very much an optimist. Much of my life has been easy, relatively, um, and things tend to work out in my favor. I think it's something that I didn't recognize as unique until I uh, wanted to start a family of my own, and I was faced with infertility. So this, we're going back 60-plus years now, but I think this year has really been a year when it's all kind of come together. Um, you know, my body's literally marked with battle wounds and scars of... Um, infertility but I now have a three and a half year old boy in a few weeks I'm going to have another boy um so things have have turned out positively here for the most part um but I share all that because I think going through the darkness and the isolation and the the loss of infertility has brought a more realistic lens to my life um I wouldn't say I'm a pessimist now by any any stretch of the imagination but um I think I have a more acute sense of what it feels like when things don't go the way you plan, um, and so that has actually, I think, really benefited me both in my personal relationships but also professionally, um, because I, I think I have a more informed perspective on uh, the challenges that can be, that can crop up, um, and I'm more planful now. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for the perspective that that experience had granted me. Um, and in the last year, you know what I'm really grateful for is um, you know keeping with the IVF theme,
2: I think a leader
1: can make or break your experience at work. And so I have become increasingly picky about who I hitch my wagon to and that has a huge influence on how I choose roles is my direct manager and, and their manager. Um, and in this past year, back in the spring, I kind of had one last shot to get pregnant. This is our last embryo. Like it's this or nothing. Um, and I knew from past losses that the stress of work, the stress of life can just compound the, the anxiety of that process, um, that already exists. And so I, I went out on a, on a limb and talked to my leader about, like, I think I need to take some time away from work to, to do this round of IVF. And I'm incredibly insecure about saying that because I should be able to do it all. And I don't wanna lose the momentum I have in my career. And I don't want you to think that I'm putting family first, but I need to put, family, you know, I was just a rambling mess talking to my manager about this. And um, they gave me incredible trust and grace. And I took eight weeks off away from the, just no questions asked, truly, it's just stepped away. Um, to focus on my family and was welcomed back and picked right up where I had left off and um, was even encouraged to apply for a significant promotion towards the end of this pregnancy. Like it was just such an acceptance of me as a, as a whole woman and as a parent and as a professional. Um, so I have a ton of gratitude for that, that experience this year.
2: Wow thank you for sharing that story Kat. Uh, that it's it's absolutely incredible and i i would say that you are very positive i would not call you <laughs> a, a pessimistic at all and i just I, I i love your your thoughts on like having a it, it like through that and and gaining more gratitude Uh, of the experience you've you've you know broadened your perspective and like so now with that perspective I think that has made you even stronger from a a creative standpoint and it's stronger from a marketing standpoint and and being able to empathize and relate uh with others and and uh, you know learning more about their stories as well so i am tying it back to storytelling too but i just i i love i love what you've shared and i love like just your your thought through the entire the entire process that you went through in and 2023
1: thank you yeah and i i hope to you know have the opportunity to pay it forward i stand on the shoulders of such incredible female leaders and I really see the value in extending the hand and, you know, recognizing that women can't have it all at once, but you can be intentional as a leader about making the space for them to have it in seasons and encourage them through it and, um, you know, not let family planning or whatever else is going on in their life feel like it's taking away from their potential and their momentum. It's just part of life.
0: I love this talk so much because we've had this in so many different ways, Kat, and your story mm. is just incredible. And congratulations, too. And, you know, the next few it's weeks, flying. we're definitely going to be keeping tabs and excited for you. Okay. But I think about the the wonderful Ashton Kutcher film, The Butterfly Effect, quite a bit. And if this like ever like played out in real life. Um, but I just always think about this so much when we talk about leadership, like things in my career. If I didn't have... This boss pushed me to do that so this could happen and then this like happens down the road. So I I feel like it's led us so much in this conversation time and time again on this program about You know, enabling your marketers and the people on your teams to be able to feel confident what they're doing, be able to take those steps and then, you know, if there's something going on in their life that they feel comfortable that they can come to you that they can take the time they need it's just You know, I feel like as a marketing society, we're probably doing better than where we were maybe like a decade ago. But I also still feel like there's a lot of work still to be done. And by you sharing this story, I think it helps like the continued conversation we're having. So, you know, the leaders that do listen to this show, it gives, you know, a new perspective. And then for those that are just getting into their careers, I think it gives a good perspective. So we definitely Mm -hmm. thank you for that. But turning us to Starbucks now, so this question here in a nutshell, like this is going to be a broad question for you. You can take it wherever you want to go with it. So just in a nutshell, what is it like to do marketing at Starbucks?
1: What is it like to do marketing at Starbucks? A privilege. Um, yeah, I would say what a privilege to work on a brand that that so many people have a deep emotional connection to and feel like they have their own version of Starbucks. Um, it's 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 the brand that at a family gathering or a cocktail party, as soon as people know where you work, they're gonna have something to say to you, good or bad. Um, and there's I just get peppered with these deeply personal stories of about experiences with Starbucks, things we should be doing, could be doing, why did we stop doing? Um, and, I think you could roll your eyes at that or you could take it as like a, wow, how incredible to have such an engaged customer base. Um, People care so much uh, that they're willing to talk to me about it in their personal time at a party. Um, I think it's also been eye-opening to be on the internal side of Starbucks as a brand marketer because, (laughs) and hopefully my my bosses aren't watching this. Um I think whenever you're on the outside of something, you might assume that things are incredibly organized and strategic and uh all the all those things. And when you're on the inside, sometimes it can be a little, a little messier than that. Um and I think I think the latter is certainly true, but the passion of the people that work at Starbucks for the product for what we stand for in terms of human connection and humanity—all um, of that is is very much true. Um, I think the, this moment in time with Starbucks has been super exciting, um, and one of the reasons why I was excited to go to the CPG side of the business. We are um, still in the transition of being moving from a founder-led company to a founder-inspired company, and what I mean by that is, you know, Howard Schultz our fearless founder and leader for decades um, has officially passed the torch to our new CEO, excuse me. And what we're finding is that much of the brand over the last 50 years was built organically. Um, The cafe presence was there, but what customers projected on the brand and how it kind of grew into this pop culture sensation, that all really happened organically. And Howard's intuition guided a lot of that. When you're passing the baton and trying to empower the next generation of leaders and the kind of refounding of the company, you have to codify Howard's intuition and codify this kind of ethereal brand in ways that we hadn't before. Um, So we've done a ton of really interesting work to understand, you know, deep consumer interviews as well as partners, so people who work in our stores. Deep interviews to understand when our brand is at our best, what do you expect? What is it about the experience in a very multifaceted way that um drives affinity for you to use a marketing term? And it's led to some really interesting perspectives on the brand and like the sacred pieces that we need to be ruthless in protecting as we grow, perhaps in a less organic way in the next generation of the brand or next 50 years of the brand. Um, So I would say as a marketer, it's if you like brand strategy, like this is the place to be right now, um, because we are really going through a transition.
0: That's exciting. So I'm, you know, anticipating watching this from afar, Cap, because Starbucks is it's one of those brands. So we do this technique sometimes where will show like just a bunch of logos without a name on it. And it's like, who do you recognize? And I, I would say that if I were to pick 10 brands, Starbucks would be in those 10. Like it just, you know, the picture you have in the background, if you're watching a video feed, that that's it right there. Like I see that and know exactly what it is. And then when I see it, I think about what I like to drink there. Like it actually like creates like this psychological like moment where I go from the experience into the brand to like what I like about it and you could do that through your storytelling and different different items there. I do know we're a little we're, we're a little close on time so I got just a couple more questions we got a got a rail off here. Um, very important we're talked about holiday season so <laughs> holiday marketing at Starbucks something that Starbucks has been able to do for our listeners if you're familiar, not familiar, but something that's real popular has always been both the drink selection and then also how they're theming the cups. Like, I know that was always a thing, like, is like, what is the holiday approach for their cups this year? So it's been pretty, you know, fun for me to watch from afar just to see how, you know, it's gone about for holiday marketing. I know it's probably likely a big time for you. So and then, you know, also now merging into CPG, I'm sure there's some changes there. So just curious how you think about holidays, how you transition from holidays from mm-hmm. pumpkin spice to uh, mm-hmm. sugar cookies during uh, holiday times. So I'm sure there's a lot of thought that goes into it.
1: yeah, I, our business is highly, highly seasonal. Um I think it's pretty commonplace these days for quick service restaurants, for retailers to, lean into the seasons, but I, especially in the QSR space, I don't think that was always the case. And Starbucks was pretty revolutionary um, decades ago when we introduced these red cups and kind of turned the stores red during the season. Um, And what we find in talking to consumers is that, especially in the U S when our stores go red, that signals the season. When you have your peppermint mocha, um, that is your cue that you can start the indulgence of the season. Like there's, there's such an emotional connection to Starbucks in the holiday season. Um, and we definitely ramp up with, with pumpkin spice coming into that. And we just celebrated pumpkin's 20th anniversary this last year. It's last fall. So, um, yeah, the holidays are a really fun time at Starbucks. Uh, they also mark our first fiscal quarter. So, you know, we put a lot of stock in the holiday season for a variety of reasons. Um, but I will say that beyond the seasons, beyond holiday, we're also looking at, you know, how do we engender the same excitement and emotional connection to Starbucks beyond that holiday season? Like what is the winter season with Starbucks? How does Starbucks own summer? How does Starbucks own these shoulder seasons? Um, particularly as consumers are moving more towards cold beverages, um, you know, there's a real opportunity for Starbucks in refreshment. Um, so yeah, seasons is core to how we organize our product pipeline, how we market, et cetera, And holiday is definitely the center of the sun.
0: I love it. Well, I know we're close on time here, so Jess, I want to ask you too as well. So, just curious, we can't let you off the hook without asking you this question. So, favorite Starbucks drink, and I will start. It's the sugar cookie almond milk latte that pops Lovely. up during Christmas time. I probably pounded about four of those during December. Sprinkles, yes, with the sprinkles, yes, and then and. You know, cold versus hot. I like this one hot, but traditionally I'm a cold coffee person. But this one, I specifically like hot.
2: Oh, my am I, am I next? Yes, go for okay, it. Yes. Okay, so I I am not a coffee drinker, but I, I've got a party story for you here, cat. Yeah. Uh, so I have I have really learned over this past year, or over in 2023, that's that Starbucks is really more about. The, the story and like the connected experience. and it's not just about the drinks, mm-hmm. but again, the, like these deep emotions that you're feeling when you go into these stores. And I learned that through uh, my daughter. So the the, the 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 moral of the story here is so we would take my daughter to Starbucks after her swimming lessons just so she could like get some get some food and just get a little bit of energy after the swimming. So we went to this one location to start and uh and my my husband takes her very frequently. So it would it, it turned into like this tradition and the managers of the store started to build a relationship with my daughter. So it's it first started with like they would they would get her some sprinkles and put it on her steamed milk. And it just made her feel very special. Mm -hmm. Or that, you know, they would would write Olaf on the cup. (laughs) And like that it would be an order for Olaf. And then they would bring books in and put it in their little reading area. Mm -hmm. So it's now turned into like this just incredible experience. And I love going into the Starbucks to see her just interact and and just like really enjoy her time there and it, it's become it's become so strong that one of the managers moved to another location so when she's going to starbucks after her swimming locations uh, or swimming lessons she'll go to the other location so yeah. that's it's yeah so
1: that's us at our best absolutely it's more than the beverage Um, I would say, you know, having been on the beverage team for several years and helped launch several different, I can't have a, there's no baby. They're all, I love them all. But, um, I think what I have come to love so much about Starbucks is our options for customization and personalization. And you can truly just like taste the rainbow and be an inventor with everything we have. Um, the pantry that you have at your fingertips as a customer, um, and a few that we've made, a few sort of customer creations or partner creations that we've made uh, sort of core in our menu have been some favorites of mine. Um, like pumpkin cream cold brew, I think would be my, my number one. Those cold foams on top of the bitter, or I shouldn't say bitter, cocoa notes of cold brew. Um, delicious. Iced all the way
0: haven't had that one but now it's on mm-hmm. my list i have to admit like i'm someone so i have this thing pumpkin beer yes like pumpkin coffee huh? Eh, give, give or take mm-hmm. but holiday mm-hmm. coffee like christmas coffees i like those christmas but I I, i'm one of the people though that I won't knock it till I try it. Cause you notice some people are just like, I don't like the sounds of that. Like if it's in coffee, I'll drink it. So, you know, I'm (laughs) going to give that a chance once it rolls around again. But Kat, thank you so much for coming on today. I learned a lot about Starbucks and I feel like the next time I walk into the store, there's just going to be a new appreciation that Mm -hmm. I'm going to have. And then also just your journey in talking about both personal professional I know to our listeners it'll be extremely inspiring to them uh, so we super super thank you I think we could have talked for for two hours if we would have let it so um very big thank you for having you on today and in wishing you the best of luck over the next few thank weeks Thank you um Any as day you now can- this
1: mm-hmm. has been absolutely my pleasure thank you thank you. Thanks Kat. bye.
0: Yeah. So Jess, I wanted to get to this, this story on Starbucks and ask Kat um, her thoughts, but it was like, I was like too inspired to like take this off the rails completely today. Uh, so like when we talk about favorite drinks, uh, my favorite drink now is the obviously the holiday, the sugar cookie drink that I love. But when I was in radio, uh, my style of radio, my name was Crash. And like my persona was I was like high energy, top 40 music. That's 21, 22 years old. I was like one of the students in a college town. Like Crash had a persona to keep up to. And I had to get hype for shows. So like my hype spot was I went to Starbucks before every show and I would pound a uh, frapp- uh caramel frappuccino you know with the whipped cream and the syrups and it's it's like kind of like coffee but it's kind of like a milkshake and it like gets you like so like worked up on sugar that you're like on like another level that's what my go-to drink was for years in radio and then like now i don't think i my my body could handle it but <laughs> that that's was uh my thing for a while so starbucks branding worked in a way that When I knew I had to get hype, like for something, that's where I went. I don't know if that's what they were going for with probably their brand stories, but that's how
2: they got me in the door. Yeah, I love it. And I love how she mentioned, too, around like this idea of like you're the inventor. And that makes me think of You've Got Mail. Yeah. So, you know, going back, what, 15, 20 years when there's that scene where Tom Hanks is basically explaining how the customers have the control because they can order mm-hmm. in all these uh different ways and e- even when i like i go in and you know i know my daughter's order but, and i always look i'm always very curious even though i don't drink coffee but i lo- i look at how people are ordering and i'm like oh one day it would be so much fun if i could have the confidence to order in the way that these other customers wow. are ordering it's like what they are they're inventing their own their own creations and i think that's very cool some of that's from reddit
0: too so they like research this stuff because there's been hidden menu options that essentially have become like legitimate menu options based on the special orders that people do Mm -hmm. something she brought up that was fascinating to me and there was a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. because she dropped a lot lot of really good nuggets for us today Mm -hmm. um is that she really talks about the Starbucks kind of in-person experience. So I want to compare this to Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A is on top of their game, oftentimes because people go there because, yeah, they like the food, but the experience has always been rated so high. So we look at, let's say, and I promise you, I don't have one bias one way or the other, but I'm just going to throw McDonald's out there so mcdonald's their experience is quite different as they've gone to more kiosks more automation more kind of go in and everything's quick like that's their game now is like you can go in hit a few buttons on the kiosk it comes right to you you can get your coffee made fast it's different they're not i I don't think they go as much for this like in-person like storytelling experience where we see like a Starbucks and then Chick-fil-A, I feel like has theirs too, where you're kind of going there because, you know, what you talked about just with your daughter, like there's a full experience that happens there, but it's actually probably slower. Like I don't go to Starbucks because I can get my coffee to quickest. I know like Dunkin' Donuts, McDonald's, I can get it a lot quicker at those places, wow. but there's still an experience at Starbucks that keeps people coming back even in a society where we're told everybody wants things quick so it gets me just to think a lot because i try to optimize my experiences on social branding whatever it be to be quick 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 yet we see these instances over and over again where people will still go against quick 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 if they like the experience
2: yeah so there's there's two ways to look at it from an innovation standpoint it's you know what actions are the customers taking so yes, if they if they're looking to get something quick, that's like really focusing on the the action. And the other way to look at it too is like the emotional, mm-hmm. the emotional benefit. So like you said, like when when I've had the opportunity to go in with my daughter, because again, my husband takes her very regularly, we're, we're in there for an hour at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't it is its not about going in getting that quick drink it's like you said about like the the emotional benefit like the the benefit that like my daughter gets from interacting with uh these these employees at starbucks and the way that they make her feel and and yeah so that that i look at it in, in two ways like just thinking like both either way is still uh if you're putting the customer first it's leading you on a path to innovation but you can it, it's good to look at like am i looking at like the actions that they're taking or am i looking at like the emotional benefits mm-hmm. they are receiving
0: it's just so fascinating because this you know for from cat it's it's so much that i needed to learn today because that's not a space um you know just being transparent i've marketed in a, marketed in a lot like the most i've dabbled in food and beverage is doing um, work for small restaurants. So, you know, like a corporate brand like that, you know, I just probably don't even think about this marketing technique in the same way. But it's it's just so interesting because there's, you know, you think about just all these chains that are like really at the top that we obviously see on TV or social media all the time. The way she explains it and how it's deeper and how they're always working on things and what that story is and how to translate it, it's just that That's so interesting. And it's probably you know something where I could spend some time doing a little bit deeper case study on some of these brands,
2: yep. and it's a way for McDonald's and for Chick-fil-A and for Starbucks to differentiate themselves. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of another like an action related uh, item with uh, McDonald's. People may also be, uh, you know, wanting that that quick service and then knowing that it's consistent. Mm-hmm. And that, that's important to people as well. So I, I feel like like that's the, the you know, the actions that they are taking.
0: Definitely. And then
2: also getting
0: a grimace shake, which we <laughs> talked about several episodes ago. And that was a, that was a big thing. You know what I, you know, this is my, my text is coming out to me and maybe we can send some pings and try to find someone, but talking about just experiential marketing, I would love to have somebody from the marketing department of Bucky's. are Are you familiar with Bucky's, Jess?
2: Yes, we've talked
0: about it yes. before yes. it it's Disney World, but a gas station and a beaver. And these things are like expanding like wildfire right now. They're popping up all across the u s. um it's it's forever probably my favorite brand. I would be so curious to like talk to someone about the Buckys experience and how that's become you know, it's always been big, but I think the TikToks of the world and the YouTubes of the world have just expanded it. And I'd love to hear how these brands not only kind of do this storytelling or experiential-based marketing, you know, on the traditional channels, but how, when they become these kind of social media sensations, how they use that to fuel their overall growth.
2: Definitely. I mean, Cat just hit the hit the the surface level on the experiential marketing piece it's something that we we've gotten now a better understanding that this is tied with storytelling that they Starbucks is using storytelling to create these connected experiences so it's something that they really they lean into and i I'd, I'd love to go i'd love to go further cuz it's yeah. it's such an incredible way to empathize with your with your customers and to to reach them on their emotional level.
0: Definitely. Now I uh it, it's another one is you you've recommended a few guests, Jess, um, that you you've taught with um, at your at your D school. And I've been like, I need to enroll in this class. <laughs> like, I like I learned a lot in 30 minutes. Like I feel like if I had more time, like we'd probably uncover something pretty incredible.
2: Yes, there, there are three. You could go to the dschool.com website. There are three classes per year. And now it's, it's really an incredible experience. One other thing I wanted to touch on, on Kat, and you, you mentioned this POV, like right at the front. I do love how she talked about you know, the, her, her career journey or, and like the the creativity piece. And I, now I, I love the reframe. I love the positivity mm-hmm. around the reframe and now starting to think about, well, if you're not getting stuck, then you uh, are not pushing yourself. And she even mentioned it, through her career journey like moving into one role from Starbucks and then when she was like I became a little comfortable so then I needed to change it up so then I was thinking oh so you you weren't you weren't stuck creatively mm-hmm. and so I just I love how she looked at that mm-hmm. and and just gave me a total new perspective on yes we want to get stuck when we think about it
0: And that's, to me, like, I feel like a huge philosophical discussion that we should continue. Like, I think as we continue to ask this question, we evolve more as we learn what the answers are. But... I see, and this comes from Kat's background, she comes from this musician background, which is a very like creative brain. And that type of brain, typically you're trying to create new things. A musician, you'll hear them say over and over again, they have to evolve. And you'll hear them say that they sometimes will change genres and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but they're trying to evolve as musicians because it's important to them. But I also think that that's very similar to marketers and people that work in this space. If they get stale or they get into kind of autopilot, I think it's when unhappiness starts to creep in a little bit more. So uh, I I think it's just it's a, a good conversation to have. Like get people back to the roots as to why they got into marketing, why they enjoy this craft. I still feel like, and this is my this is my personal POV. I feel like when this became a million billion, you know, monopoly money industry, people got so focused on that, that we lost a lot of what the craft of marketing was. And I feel like now it's being talked about a little bit more in a lot of different ways. And people are trying to refine like why they enjoyed this craft in the first place. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, to what Kat was talking about, allowing themselves to figure out where that creative challenge is and trying to, you know, get to that spot.
2: Yes. It yeah. Uncovering the challenge and asking for help. That's the other thing that I took away, which I thought was incredible. And just this idea, like even from a sales perspective, imagine you as the account executive going to your customer and and saying, Hey, I'm stuck in -hmm. this area can you help? And yeah. like Kat was mentioning, like what an invitation to lean in, to collaborate, to create something creative and innovative together. And I just think mm-hmm. that can be applied to uh, every discipline, every industry. And uh, like, I mean, look, she helped, asked for help within her own career. And uh, now look at the the output and the outcome. Yes, From being that vulnerable and sharing her feelings. Yes,
0: I loved it. This was, to me, like one I want to actually go back and almost listen to myself, like to like kind of regather some of the thoughts. But um, excellent podcast. Once again, season two, we're coming in hot. You know, I think we've had some great POVs already. Uh, we have uh, obviously your new logo up there, Jess, you did a great job with that, getting our microphone on there. Uh, so you know just continue with us we got some other episodes um, down the line this month we have our book club this month about Britney Spears so we're excited about that we're going to talk about different perspectives and how um, reading by, by reading Britney Spears book how she was marketed as an artist and I'm sure we'll have some opinions on that but Jess I do know we're at time right now Thank you once again. I would go and drink some Starbucks right now, but it's much too late. I'll be up all night if I do. Uh, So I will get on that tomorrow. That sounds great. We'll see everybody soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.